Hello and welcome to Imagine America Radio, a service of the Imagine America Foundation and Imagine America Publishing Company. My name is Bob Martin. I'm the president and CEO of Imagine America Foundation. In the last 20 years, Imagine America has provided scholarship support and tuition assistance to students attending career colleges all across this country. The purpose of this podcast is to promote technical and career education and to inform the public of career opportunities that are not just in high demand, but essential to the American workforce. We hope you will enjoy today's podcast. This episode of Imagine America Radio is sponsored by Ambassador Education Solutions, your school's go-to partner for simple, effective, and affordable course materials. Ambassador helps schools get print and digital resources into students' hands quickly and easily. As more schools turn to inclusive access during these uncertain times, Ambassador automates the process for students, enables easy opt-in for publisher direct content, and helps schools comply with U.S. Department of Education requirements. Coming this June, Ambassador is launching its Next Generation Course Materials platform. Go to ambassadored.com for more information. Thank you, Ambassador. The Northwest Career College Federation is the state association for career colleges in the state of Washington. Joining us today on Imagine America Radio is Zachary Spiron, president of the Northwest Career College Federation. On today's episode of Imagine America Radio, we sit down with Zachary to discuss what the state of Washington has done during the COVID-19 pandemic and how they're planning to reopen their career colleges. We hope you enjoy this conversation with president of Northwest Career College Federation, Zachary Spiron. Joining us today for this episode of Imagine America to help us sort out these issues is Mr. Zachary Spiron. Zachary is the president of the Northwest Career Colleges Federation, and it serves as president of Pima Institution in Renton, Washington. The Northwest Federation has been a passionate advocate for private career colleges and schools in the state of Washington since its creation in 1969. The Northwest Career Colleges Federation represents 55 member institutions and scores of private organizations, as well as thousands of students. Mr. Spiron, welcome to our broadcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob. Hey, maybe for the purpose of this podcast, maybe call you Zachary. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Hey, Zachary, let's start out today's program with very a brief overview of the Federation, since I'm pretty sure that some of our listeners may not be familiar with the Northwest Federation. And then secondly, if you don't mind, if you could give us a, an overview on what your member institutions have done to respond to the current COVID-19 uh, crisis. Yeah, absolutely. So, the Northwest Career College Federation uh, originally was was representing both Washington State, Idaho, and Oregon in terms of the private colleges and career colleges within those three states. Uh, as we've kind of evolved over the last few years in particular, we've tried to kind of center a little bit more around each state having their own um, kind of identity. So we've specialized here in Washington and decided that it's best to kind of represent the state's needs, especially legislatively. Um, when it comes to how we provide information to our, to our member schools and, and connecting them with the appropriate resources. So we've been around, like you said, for over 50 years now. We have all kinds of different schools that represent our membership. So we have medical colleges like Pima Medical Institute and, and Charter College. Uh, we also have a lot of cosmetology schools. Um, we have schools that specialize in, in commercial diving. 
there's there's uh, truck driving schools. We have um, schools that that specialize in uh, coding and and teaching people how to uh, you know join the tech world. So very eclectic group and very diverse group of schools that we represent. Um, and obviously with a lot of those schools uh, and what's been happening recently with COVID-19, we've had to learn how to transition our, our in-person classes into a remote environment. And for some of our schools, that may be easier than others. A lot of the appeal for a career college is oftentimes uh, offering hands-on skills. So it's, it's kind of a catch-22 in the sense we want to be able to move our students through their programs quickly because we're career-oriented and we want them to get into a position as quickly as possible. Uh, however, there's definitely been a slowing down of our curriculum as a result of not being able to offer some of those hands-on skills. So we've had to kind of think outside of the box for how do we, how do we convert things that we used to do in person with, with equipment that the students could manipulate into something that's a, a, in a digital environment. And so uh, for some schools, like I said, that's easier than others, but I think a big uh, positive is that uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our schools have, have made that transition uh, as easy on the students as possible and have gotten approval from the state and from their creditors to kind of front load more theoretical parts of what they teach in order to make sure that we can continue everybody's education. It's not to say that there weren't some bumps in the road, but in general, because of the Federation uh, providing a lot of these resources and, and being kind of a, an epicenter for sharing best practices and collaborating with, with one school's success and making sure that we can kind of use that as a playbook for another school. I think that's what's been really crucial about having kind of that centralized um, resources is to be able to take things in and to share that with large groups that might not otherwise have access to those resources. Okay, now this is Lee Doubleday. I'm talking to Zachary Spiron, president of the Northwest Career Colleges Federation. Now, the purpose of this episode is to inform our listeners of the reopening process. Now, I'm assuming this may, you know, vary from county to county, but can you sort of explain what the overall reopening strategy is for the state of Washington, and then maybe even more particular as to what some of uh, the schools that you represent are doing? Sure, absolutely. So, basically, the our governor Governor Inslee described the reopening process as the turning of a dial compared to the flipping of a light switch. I think that's a really good metaphor for basically what's happening in here in Washington. Um, we've been a state that has been a little bit more cautious about restrictions. We've seen other states start to lift uh, certain social distancing guidelines and gathering guidelines, um, as well as what they are considering to be essential um, workers uh, returning to work in a, in a much faster timeline than, than what we've seen here in Washington. So right now, our county in particular is, is still in phase one of returning. Some of our neighboring counties that have less active cases of COVID are, are in phase two, um, but ultimately those phases are, are the dial that's turning. So we have four different phases that are supposed to be spaced out, basically three weeks apart from one another. And this all started at the beginning of, of June when the stay-at-home order was technically lifted as to going into phase one of reopening. Um, so 
based on that, there are restrictions around our, our numbers of students that can be in a classroom at a time, for instance. There's no more than 10 people in a room at a time, so there's a nine instructor ratio for most of our classes that are able to hold labs. Um, social distance required at all times in phase one. So uh, certain hands-on skills, for instance, if you were gonna do a blood draw on a student are prohibited because you're not able to violate those social distancing guidelines in, in phase one. And, and basically what's, what's happening is that once there are a lower number of COVID cases in any given county, the schools that are ready to move into those next phase have to submit a pretty robust safety plan that has to be approved by them in order to move into that next phase. And what they're trying to do is basically check hundreds of boxes to ensure that there's as little risk as possible to anybody coming on campus. One thing that makes Washington a little different than some of our other schools as well is that along with having some of the requirements from the state, we also have requirements from certain state organizations that specialize in different fields. So even though many of our schools in many different states have had to make sure that they're getting permission from accreditation and from government agencies, there seem to be a few more dis uh, restrictions here in Washington when it comes to uh, moving from one phase to the next. So in phase two, for instance, some of those different categories um, become a little bit more lenient uh, and, and, and as they move into phase three. So as of right now, there are no gatherings, for instance, uh, of more than 10 people in a classroom at any of our given schools. As we move into phase two, some of our other businesses will start to open up um, and gatherings will start to move into something a little less restrictive. For instance, like right now in our county, because we're in phase one, you were technically allowed to have people um, on campus if you've been approved and they've been properly screened and have received a safety orientation from the site supervisor who submitted the application. So it really does get down into the details, which is definitely a good thing. It's something that I'm thankful for as, as someone who has to work to ensure that our campus is safe. The more guidelines that we're given on how to do that, the better. And, and the state has been really helpful in at least sharing what those guidelines should look like and, and uh, basically being a resource of information for us. But ultimately, we're, we're still turning that dial as of right now and hoping to move into phase two pretty close to the end of June. Well, I think I hear you saying, and I'm sure that you, your students appreciate all the guidelines that are being taken and the uh, extra precautions that are being taken for their safety as well. And um, so what I think I hear you saying is that in the beginning of the June, the, uh, the turning of the dial has uh, started, so to speak. Um, and every three weeks, we may be moving into another phase, the phase two and then phase three. But what do you see as being the largest challenge that your schools are facing regarding the pandemic and reopening process? You know, something that we hear from some of our schools, in particular the healthcare uh, schools, is externships being a big problem for them because they rely on the hospitals to, uh, you know, take externs from their school. So can you sort of elaborate on what some of the largest challenges have been during this reopening process? Yeah, I think that that definitely touches on it, Lee, that when you attend a career college, oftentimes that does occur with a externship, an internship, field work, uh, clinical rotations, 
things that require you to be working out there in the field. And so there's, there's this balance right now where we know that some of our uh, employer partners who are looking to hire our students have positions that are open that they need to fill, but they're also hesitant to provide those experiences to some students until they feel like they're equipped with the proper staffing and the proper PPE to ensure that everybody who steps into that environment will be able to practice safely. Obviously in these situations, especially in healthcare, when there's so much risk for the spread of, of COVID-19, we wanna make sure anybody stepping into those situations, even as a learner, is as protected as possible. And although our schools do an excellent job of providing the training necessary for them to onboard and, and practice whatever they need to safely, there's still kind of this concern that you're sending someone who hasn't been certified as a medical professional in that area. And so you've seen some of our, we've seen some of our employers start to loosen that up as things start to get into phase two, because we, we know that they're going to have, the, you know, the medical field already has tons and tons of open positions in so many different programs. The gaps of, of employment in the medical field exist in, in so many different areas. And as this has gone on, those gaps have gotten bigger, and yet the restrictions on getting through students through a pipeline to become graduates and employees of these different organizations, that's where things can be a little bit more difficult and have slowed down because people don't feel quite as confident right now in taking on students as learners, knowing that they're stepping into much more high-risk environments than we would have seen six months ago. So in terms of those considerations being, being an obstacle, uh, that's definitely part of it. The other part of it is that during all of this, some of our students that would have normally had their schedules all worked out and had their life in order to be able to pursue these clinical environments and externships and opportunities, you know, now some of them have kids at home. Some of them are, you know, in, in a tough financial situation as a result of what's happening in here in Washington and in, and in the world. Um, and so again, it, it just seems to be this, this kind of tough situation that we find ourselves in with our students where we want to get them to the, the end of their goal because part of them coming to our colleges is to, to make a higher wage, but they're in a situation right now where life is making that very difficult to do. And, and for some of them, you know, maybe they even had just a month left and yet this has changed the circumstances in their lives. So, uh, you know, the, the goals that they were pursuing they definitely have to get a little bit more creative with how to continue to pursue those goals. But that's why we have, um, you know, excellent resources on our campuses and, and we at the Federation try to provide as, as much as we can of, of insight of how one campus or one institution is solving that problem and what we can borrow and lend to another institution who has students facing similar issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up as far as um, your your federation and what it is that you are doing to help your member schools. So that kind of leads into my next question, which is, what are some things that you as in the federation have done to help your member schools during this time, either with the reopening process or uh, any sort of legislation uh, assistance um, regarding the pandemic? Yeah, so communication's probably been the most important part of, of 
what our actions have done to help this the students and and the schools kind of make sure that they have as many resources as possible to answer many different questions so, you know which within each one of our schools there's so many different departments and there's so many moving parts that sometimes having a, a guidance on on those different questions that have been popping up and and knowing that the answers that you're getting have been have been vetted and, and shown to be successful in another area is is all the more important so communication on on a daily basis has been a big part of of uh, the federation and we have some great staff that's present for for ensuring that communication is consistent the executive director um, marianne has been such an asset in in being basically the glue between all of our member schools as well as our industry partners our industry partners have been a great support for offering resources for our students. So we, we have in, industry partners, for instance, like um, OmniAlert. OmniAlert basically is an emergency communication system that you can in, uh, put into place for your campus um, in order to communicate updates to students directly to their phone. So a lot of our, our schools were interested in that kind of technology because I can basically go on my cell phone and let everybody know of an update from our governor or um, you know a new safety video that I need them to watch before coming to campus next week. Uh, and then we have other partners like Course Key and 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 a lot of uh, digital resources that, that give us online environments to host our students. Many of our schools might have had some degree of of um, like platforms that they use for remote learning, but definitely not as robust as what was required once we moved into uh, a COVID world that didn't allow us to attend brick and mortar schools anymore. Um, so a, a big part of what the Federation has done in terms of that communication is making sure that what one school is doing that is shown to be successful can be incorporated and communicated to the rest of our members so that we're kind of proactively solving problems as they come up. We also um, are, are making sure that we're staying in communication with federations in other states because again, we don't want to operate in a silo and try to reinvent the wheel here in Washington when we know there's another state federation that we can reach out to who may have encountered this problem a little bit earlier or uh, may have a different set of resources than us. We've also done things like securing uh, vendors for personal pr protective equipment to make sure all of our campuses that are going to be moving into the next phase have access to PE because these days that's not something you can take for granted with the amount of um, PPE requested by um, our hospitals, our schools, um, and any industry that's that's been open. Um, we've also offered webinars and trainings uh, online and through Zoom and, and other uh, platforms that, that basically can help people, again, learn from one another, uh, provide them with, with resources on what's happening within the state, like you, you had mentioned, um, legislation. We have a, uh, a lobbyist for the Federation that consistently kind of has her ear to the ground on any updates relevant to our schools. So sharing those uh, communications as well as, you know, the financial support that's been offered by our state and by um, our federal government, knowing how to navigate that process, how to access those funds, and, and to make sure that our colleges are represented in every one of those conversations. That's a big part of it is, is with all of the, um, the funding that has occurred to help support our schools 
we want to make sure that uh, our career schools are um, are viewed as as just as important as um, any other sector. So it's just been a big a big kind of collaboration between uh, our member schools, our industry partners, our executive director, our lobbyist, and and again any other resources that we can get our hands on that we think will improve. Um, our success of returning to campus and, and a big part was keeping people in communication and updated while we were off campus. Yeah, those are all, those are all great points. And I, I think it sounds like you've done uh, so much for your member schools and we commend you for everything that you've done to, to help your schools through this difficult time. So I have one last question for you before I turn things over to Bob. And that is, you know, you deal with all types of schools all across the states are all across uh, Washington. And do you hear any positive takeaways from this pandemic? I mean, do you believe that schools are gonna change the way they deliver education moving forward? Or do you think they're gonna go back to the same way that they were doing things before? I would say that there's, it's, it's a little more surgical in terms of the changes that will occur. I think within some of the programs being offered with, with our schools, they may have noticed that certain classes in particular were able to transition into online relatively seamlessly compared to other classes. I think in general, when you look at our sector, there's so many hands-on skills that are required uh, in order to certify our students in, in their different uh, careers that for many of our schools, that would be a difficult prospect to, for instance, move all of our classes entirely online. Um, but you have seen that certain programs do have classes in particular that can offer a little bit more flexibility and convenience for our students. And I know our students have been, you know, super excited that they were able to continue to move forward towards their graduation dates in spite the, despite the fact that they weren't able to come to campus. But I also know that many of our students have chosen our schools in particular for the ability to learn kinesthetically, to, to learn by doing rather than theoretically learning what they need to. So I think there's a balance there where there's definitely some positives that we'll be able to take away and our instructors have definitely flex, flex muscles when it comes to becoming an online instructor overnight. Part of it was, it felt like kind of changing your tires while the car was still running. But I think in terms of, if you were to, if you were to go back uh, to you know late February, early March and say, hey, how, do, how well do you think all of your instructors through your many member schools will be able to convert into online training compared to on-campus training. I think they've definitely exceeded those expectations and knowing that we can, you know, that we can move students forward in these remote environments does have a lot of conversation in the future for how do we, how do we offer more value to our students in terms of flexibility while not compromising in any way on the skills and, and, and how much competency they'll need in order to enter their careers. Our guest today is Zachary Spiron, president of Northwest Career College Federation in the state of Washington. Zachary, um, we've covered a lot of issues today, covered a lot of ground. Uh, is there anything that as you, in retrospect, that you look back on and say, I wish I had said that, or I'd like to add, uh, add to this particular program before we close it off? Um, I don't think so. I'm, I'm just really proud to be a part of our, our federation, knowing what it is that we do in creating jobs here in Washington. You know, the, the schools that, that we represent 
they all start because there's a need to employ more professionals in that area. So regardless of the situations that we face, as, as hard as some of them have been on our students and our staff and faculty, I think we can feel really proud of the way we've been able to nav navigate through this storm. And, and I'm thankful to have such talented people that, that have such compassion and, and um, excitement for serving our members, knowing that we're contributing to the workforce here in Washington. Well, I, I think it'd be a good idea before we close, if you could, why don't you give us some contact information, maybe websites, uh, phone numbers, if anyone, uh, any of our audience is interested in knowing more about the Federation and or uh, Pima Institute there in Renton, Washington. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Pima is a very easy website. It's just pmi.edu. You can also find me, Zachary Spiron, on LinkedIn and reach out to me with any questions that you might have. Um, the Northwest Career College Federation uh, has a website that basically lists all of our different members, our scholarships, our events, resources, a lot of the online um, and, and the remote training that we've done over COVID and, and well before. Uh, and you can reach uh, that website at nwcareercolleges.org. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm happy to be a resource and, and I'm sure you'll find uh, plenty of information uh, in those two areas. We want to thank today's guest, Zachary Spearin, President of Northwest Career Colleges Federation. Zachary, we really appreciate your leadership during the recent crisis, and I'm sure that your members' institutions appreciate your leadership also. Yeah, I really appreciate what you guys are doing in terms of connecting all, all of our, our different states and, and the way that we're trying to resolve these problems. I think it's important to have um, voices like yourself that can help bring people together and, and realize that we're, we're not alone in, in what we're pursuing and, and there's a lot of resources out there if you just reach out. Yeah, we, we appreciate those comments uh, because we also think jumpstarting student awareness on our schools and what's going on and what, when they're gonna be open and be available is, is, is gonna be absolutely critical. We wanna thank today's audience also for taking time out of their very busy schedule to listen to today's episode of Madge America Radio. On behalf of my colleague, Lee Doubleday, and myself, please be safe, and we'll talk to you all again very soon. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Imagine America Radio. We hope you found it informative. For more information about future episodes and the Imagine America Foundation, you can go to our website, imagine-america.org forward slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts, and to get information on the many programs offered by the Imagine America Foundation and Imagine America Publishing. Please subscribe today so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. For now, thank you very much for joining us and best wishes.